Morning, everybody. I'm echoing a little bit. Come forward. And Happy New Year. Let me just get my act into gear here. In one of my previous careers, I worked in the hydrographic surveying section of the Marine Division of the large government organisation. In those olden days, it was called the Department of Harbours and Marine. And it was our role to survey ports and harbours to make sure that ships could enter these ports and harbours in a very safe manner. Now, under marine law, there were strict requirements for the accuracy for which of the data that we had to provide to the marine pilots for, for safe navigation. As part of our service, we required quite specialised equipment to undertake the tasks we needed to do. Now, one of these pieces of equipment was a very accurate echo sounder, and it was there to measure the depth of the water we were tra traversing. Now, I remember there was a time on, one, on, on board our survey boat, we had a member of the survey crew who couldn't keep his fingers out of electronics. You know where this is going? <laughs> he needed to know how things worked. So he decided on this particular day he'd take one of the echo sounders apart to see how it worked. Needless to say, the job of putting it back together again was beyond his ability. You know, the old, oh, how come there's three screws left over? <laughs> the unfortunate thing was that the project then got delayed for a day because we had to get an electronics expert in to, bring, to, to repair the sounder. I think that's probably where they worked out the phrase, if it isn't broken, then it doesn't need fixing. You know, in our world today, there's lots of things that need fixing. But if it isn't broken, don't fix it. We all have something that needs fixing or repair. All you've got to do is look around my house for, to figure that one out. You know, in our reading today, the Apostle Paul goes about ensuring his readers that there is a way to get things fixed in our lives. Jesus reconciles us to God and that has a direct impact on the way that we live our lives. Our broken and sinful lives can be taken somewhere to be fixed. And I can safely say that the one who fixed my life is the ultimate expert. Jesus is the one who is the ultimate expert. The way we live for Jesus will have a direct effect on how we live in today's broken world. So I've broken up um, today's reading into basically two, two sections. The first, we'll look at the first five verses, which I've called Reconciliation Experienced, and then the last six verses, Reconciliation's Certainty. Let's, let's just a, a little recap on, on, um, on these first few verses because there's some very important words here that we need to be looking at. And they're not really big biblical words, but they're really important ones. 
Therefore, since we have been justified through faith, we have peace with God through the Lord, our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have gained access by faith into his grace, into this grace in which we now stand. And we boast in the hope of the glory of God. Not only so, but we also glory in his, our sufferings because we know that suffering produces perseverance, perseverance character, and character hope. And hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. What's the very first important word? No, therefore. How about that? Very first word. Paul's showing here there's a continuation of what he's been teaching in the previous subject, in the previous chapters. And, and basically um, he's been saying every person is a sinner and it is only through Christ that righteousness can be credited to us. It comes through faith in Jesus, not the law. So how did Paul emphasise this teaching? I'll be testing your memory a little bit here. Well, he used the example of the most respected identity in Jewish nationhood, Abraham. There was no better person in all of Jewish culture to use than the father of the nation. But before connecting his previous teaching, Paul, Paul's now taking this a little bit further. Notice how, what's the second word? Since. That tells me that there's going to be some ongoing teaching going on here. In the early chapters of Romans, there was a lot of discussion about justification. Nice Christianese word. It's like an old-fashioned game, an old-fashioned game of hopscotch. When you successfully negotiate the first step, then it's time to move to the next phase. Since we have been justified by faith. It summarises what Paul's already been saying in those first four chapters of Romans. As well as preparing us now for the next topic of his, of, of his teaching. And also the piercing tone here for these first chapters is now being replaced by this tone of camaraderie. We see this in the, first, in the use of his first person language. How many times in that reading have we read the word we? Now Paul's also moving from things like faith and believe to life and live. The early chapters talk about the results of justification by faith. Now he turns to peace, joy, love. And the first one was peace. So what does, God, what does Paul mean when he says peace with God? I think he's saying that when we're justified, we've been reconciled to him. We are in fellowship with him. But what does that really mean? I think it means that we stand justified before God as judge. But we will no longer need to fear his wrath. Why? Because Jesus has bought the peace between God and us through his death. The barrier of separation has been removed. There's no longer any hostility between God and his children. The hostility between us has been overcome by his compassion and love. And did you know what I didn't say then? I said... We didn't have to break down the hostility. It's all about Jesus. No hostility. 
What next? We're excluded from the presence of God. Now we have access through grace. Verse 2 talked about that. It's an unalterable step, a state of peace in and into the presence of God. That's the rec reconciliation that Jesus brings when we believe. I've been thinking about that recent meeting um, in, in 2019 between the leaders of North Korea and South Korea. For more than 70 years, those two countries have been standing back to back, not wanting to have anything to do with each other. As a matter of fact, hating each other. But then over the last few months, they actually turned around and faced each other and shook hands. That was a path to reconcilia reconciliation for those two countries. Maybe you're, not, you're concerned about what if, G, if God is not pleased with you. Do you lay awake at night worrying about it? Paul says, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Peace is achieved through Jesus. Now that doesn't mean that we can continue to sin unashamedly. No, it doesn't. We must take our sins directly to God and confess them. He wants a relationship with us. He wants peace with us. And doesn't this idea of peace look a lot different to the way the world looks at peace? When we are at peace with God, we're one with him. The world doesn't see peace this way. In the worldview, peace can only be achieved through violence. Look at the number of peacekeeping forces around the world. Reminds me of that old saying, back to back they faced each other, drew their guns and shot each other. There's no peace. There's no reconciliation. The only real hope for real peace with each other, and I'll call that a horizontal re um, reconciliation, is the vertical reconciliation that we have through Jesus. He alone meets our greatest need. And we can boast in the hope of the glory of God. Now boast here is not a word we, can, we would consider in normal English use. Do you boast that? But I think the meaning of the word here is taken from the Greek as actually means rejoice. What happens when you substitute boast with rejoice? We can rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. Now it's a whole new meaning to Paul's statement, isn't it? Where is your hope? Can you rejoice in the hope of the glory of God? So what is the glory of God? It's his goodness, his beauty, his majesty, all rolled into one. And can we see the glory of God? Well, Moses asked the same question, didn't he? Exodus chapter 33, Moses says, Now show me your glory. And the Lord said, I will cause all my goodness to pass in front of you and I will proclaim my name, the Lord, in your presence. I will have mercy on whom I will have mercy. I will have compassion on whom I have compassion. But, he said, you cannot see my face for no one may see me and live. And the Lord said, there is a place near me where you may stand on a rock. When my, when my glory passes by, I will put you in a cleft in that rock 
and cover you with my hand until I pass by. Then I'll remove my hand and see, you will see my back, but my face must not be seen. But there is going to be a day, isn't there, when we will see the glory of God in all his majesty. And won't that be a wonderful day? We can put our hope in the glory of God. And as Paul encourages us, we can also put our hope in our sufferings. Hang on a minute. I'm not sure that was in the contract. Sufferings? What's the suffering bit? The gospel of Jesus does not promise an easy life without trials. Believing in Jesus is not about health and wealth as much as some would think. Paul maintains that it is suffering that marks a true Christian because in their afflictions they are identifying with the cross. Suffering is allowed by God because it matures us. Now that's not to say that Paul is promoting masochism. As Christians, should we be beating ourselves up and relish the pain it brings about? Our eye has to be on the end game here. The ultimate hope for a Christian is the resurrection of the body and deliverance from all suffering. Now we all see suffering around us. Have a look at the newspaper. Have a look at the news, what's been going on, as Gordon alluded to earlier. It can be heartbreaking. And how does your heart react when you see others in the grip of sin and the cycle can't be broken? What about physical ailments? In the last days of his life, my father-in-law suffered badly with the asbestos disease. But where was his focus? His focus was on Jesus. His suffering produced perseverance, which produced character, which produced hope. And now he's with, in glory with the Father. Suffering produces perseverance which produces character which produces hope and this is how I see what Paul is saying about uh, is talking about here because God's love has been poured out into our hearts so where does it end it ends with God's love and the great thing about it is that he has poured it into his heart into our hearts through the Holy Spirit God's love for us has no measure. It doesn't take any shortcuts. It's not like those advertising gimmicks that we see, you know, one entry per person. He wants to give us all the love that's possible. It's a key reason why God gave us the Holy Spirit. He seals us for salvation. He guides us. He gives us wisdom. He's our counsellor. But equally true is that he is, was given to us so that we can experience God's love always. I think we could sum it up like this somehow. Wendy, could you? Fantastic, thanks. We experience reconciliation with God because of his love for us. Now, did you notice there? It was not, not a lot about me there except what God will do for us. It's because of his love for us, not for our love, love for him. 
God reconciled us to himself and indeed his entire family. He wants us to experience the reality of our lives in community. And how do we experience peace and joy and love amid all this reality? Well, it's through God's people. This reality is meant to be shared. Our burdens are meant to be borne by one another. The Holy Spirit works through the entire body of God's church so that we can experience reality differently from those who are not reconciled to God. Verse six, verse 6 goes on like this. You see, at just the right time, when we were still powerless, Christ died for the ungodly. Very rarely will anyone die for a righteous person, though for a good person someone might possibly dare to die. But God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. The genius of God's love is that it's focused towards the ungodly. Now, four terms in this passage tell us the depth of God's love by explaining the human condition. Verse 6, helpless. Verse 6, ungodly. Verse 8, sinners. Verse 10, enemies. The helpless, he died for. The ungodly, he justified. The sinner, he saved. And the enemy, he reconciled. That's grace. That's Christ dying for us. It's a love unconstrained by unacceptable qualities. Now there's three main points that Paul makes about our sin nature. And he returns to that time before we're reconciled to God. First one, we're powerless. We cannot make ourselves good. We cannot achieve peace of our own. We're ungodly. Basically, we're wicked. Not, not, not such a great thing to be called, is it? And it doesn't matter how many good things we do or how many nice things we might say, we're still telling God that he's not important enough in our lives continuously. And the last one, we're sinners. We're rebels. We're not clean enough to be in God's presence. We're guilty. We're unacceptable to God. Remember, he can't be in the presence of sin. Our sin is not something that we can't conquer on our own. And that's the bad news. But there is good news. And it's the good truth about Jesus. He died for us because he loves us. He willingly went to the cross to pay the penalty for our sin so that we could receive forgiveness and cleansing and reconciliation with him. His righteousness is now credited to our account. Reconciliation cost God everything. It cost him the death of his only son, Jesus. There's a world full of people whom he loved and they hated him in return. And he died for them anyway. Only Jesus was meant to bear the pain of brokenness alone. Love is why God sent his son to the cross. It was the ultimate demonstration of his love for his children. God's love is poured out in us and to us through his Holy Spirit. And it's his love that transforms us from a shadowed path to bring us into his light.
in all the things that we are and we're not, God still loves us. In all the things that we want to be, God still loves us. He is, his love will overcome all of our inadequacies because he is totally adequate. You know, present circumstances cannot overturn the certainty of the future for us. The present does not determine the future. Hope is not banished by our pains. Hope is excited and made real by them. We get a clue to life in a troubled world of deception, false advertising, broken promises, when we come to the realisation that there is God, the one who created all that we see, the one who deeply loves us. And it is a love beyond human description. To have more to cling to in this life is to have hope, especially when the object of that hope is the Lord Jesus. In all our inadequacies, we can feel secure in what he promised. Verse 9, since we have now been justified by his blood, how much more shall we be saved from God's wrath through him? Because of our reconciliation to him, we're saved from his wrath. So what does that mean as we live for him today? Well, the first thing is our destiny is secure. There's going to be no guesswork about the end of our days or, in fact, the end of days. We can face that time with the confidence that we're going to be saved from his wrath. We also need to understand that this also impacts the way that we live our lives today and particularly the hard bits. So what might be hard in your life at the moment? Maybe it's injustice, loneliness, feeling unloved, persecution, ridicule. When we know we're secure in Jesus, we can endure. Suffering produces perseverance. Perseverance produces character. Do you have the character that Jesus has prescribed for you? When I struggle with these things, the go-to place is to know that God loves me and I am saved from his wrath. His wrath is the rightful justice and punishment for sin. He will give those who reject him exactly what they want. Eternity without him. Away from him forever. That's what happens to God's enemies. That's where everyone starts in life. But we don't have to stay that way. Jesus offers reconciliation. He offers salvation from God's wrath which is what we deserve because of our sin. He rescues us from being the walking dead to being the walking real life. Then verse 10. For if while we were God's enemy we were reconciled through the death of his son, how much more having been reconciled shall we be saved through his life? Paul says twice here that we're going to be saved from the wrath and saved through Jesus' resurrection life. He is alive right now we have certain security because he promised he, that's what he promised let me think about that in modern computing terms 
Jesus' promise to us is that our lives have been encrypted by him. They are password protected by an unbreakable code. The one who wants to hack into our lives can't do so. And our encryption is not temporary. It's permanent. It's forever because Jesus is forever. And if you're like me, there are some days when we have doubts. We sang the um, Jeff Bullock song before I asked John would he play it. You rescued me. I hold on to that. You rescued me and picked me up. A living hope of grace revealed. A life transformed in righteousness. Oh Lord, you have rescued me. They're the words that bring me back. That bring me back to sense. He rescued me. And he'll rescue you. But wait, there's more. Verse 11 says that we can boast in God. Now the, the word boast that it's used here is exactly the same as the word boast in verse 2. Let's substitute it. So we can rejoice in God. We can rejoice in the relationship that we have with the Father. We can have right thinking about him and this leads to rejoicing. Jesus meets our greatest need by reconciling us to the Father and that impacts on our sinful lives. God wants us to flourish even though we're caught in a sinful world. We can rejoice in a Father God who is always faithful, who always keeps his promises. He doesn't discard us like batteries that no longer can hold charge. He's always available and he tenderly pours love into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who is with us forever. He demonstrated his love by sending his son to die for us. God pursued reconciliation for us. He is our father forever. We can know that our relationship with him is certain forever. That's right thinking. That's the reconciliation that Jesus has achieved for us. We can remember it like this. Reconciliation guarantees the security of God's people. Reconciliation guarantees the security of God's people. So when might you be tempted to doubt God's love? When do you worry about your relationship with the Father? When does anxiety about what will happen when you die creep in? I think it's time we all put our minds back on truth. And how can we do that? Let me suggest a couple of ways. Well, we can read the word. Always a really good start. Maybe we can play worship music so that truth is sung and seek into our hearts. Maybe we can ask a Christian brother or sister to pray scripture over us, to pray for us in that moment when we do have those doubts. And this is the last one. Maybe ask them to speak truth to you. And that can be a hard one too, can't it? So are there phrases in the passage that we've read today that make your heart leap? Things like having been justified or reconciliation? 
we have been forgiven. But even more than that, we've been clothed in divine righteousness. We who were ungodly enemies have been brought back to him. Our separation has ended. The prodigal has returned. Today, regardless of our background, our education, our social standing, we have security in the grace that has been lavishly bestowed on us. Do you pause to thank God for his undeserved mercies? How has what he has done for you transformed what you are doing for him today? God's reconciliation proves that anyone can be saved. God doesn't need people who are willing to work for him to save them. God can save even the most apathetic or hardened person. Who might you have written off as hopeless? What keeps you from reaching out to the unseemingly uninterested with the good news of Jesus? But wait, there's more. God's reconciliation frees us to forgive others. God went to extravagant efforts to reconcile with us, even though we didn't ask for it or even deserve it. So who might be in your life? Are you withholding forgiveness, expecting them to make the first move? Please, ask God to help you remember how much you have been forgiven and to help you to forgive others. The assurance of God's love should never produce self-centeredness or pride, but it should produce humility, wonder, gratitude, praise. To think that God would desire to enter into our broken lives, turning our disgrace into his glory, is simply beyond our wildest imagination. We had nothing to offer but our need. Instead of just judgment, we've received a divine reprieve. But it's far more than that. We've been reconciled to God through the Lord Jesus Christ. What changes has God brought in your life since you've become a Christ follower? What areas still need renovation? Because rejoice, God came to us Nothing is too hard for him. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, you did come to us. You did rescue us. Nothing we could do was ever going to change that. Lord, I just thank you for that reconciliation. Lord, I just thank you for the grace that you extend to us. Lord, I just ask that you'll touch our hearts, Lord, when we want to judge others because we don't have the grace that you extend to us. So Lord, please be with us and please search our hearts. Lord, I just pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.